0: Coach Beamer did a radio hit on Tuesday afternoon to discuss what he is looking for in his new offensive coordinator and play caller. Plus, why is South Carolina's offensive coordinator position such an attractive job opening right now? We'll discuss all that and more right here on Locked On Gamecocks. Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast is brought to you by Sling TV. Don't miss this week's matchup between the South Carolina Gamecocks and the Georgetown Hoyas on FS1, Saturday afternoon on the hardwood right here on Sling. Sling, the TV you love for a price you'll love. Try it today. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecocks sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon. And as always, thank you for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first watch or listen here today. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast daily. And we've got a lot to talk about on this Wednesday edition of Locked On Gamecocks. Obviously, there's still plenty of conversation that has taken place surrounding South Carolina's recently opened offensive coordinator position. What is Shane are looking for? We're going to dive into that as well as why the job is extremely attractive, especially compared to the current market right now for offensive coordinator openings. And we're going to discuss a case of highway robbery, not literal highway robbery, but basically highway robbery that took place against one of South Carolina's specialists in who was in the running for a specific award this postseason. I'm going to touch on all of that on today's show. So let's start off with Shane radio hit that he did on Tuesday afternoon with 107.5 The Game regarding what all he's looking for in his new offensive coordinator. Of course, the guys on 107.5 were very Curious and inquisitive as to what exactly his requirements were going to be, so they asked him a bunch of questions, and I made sure to listen to the whole interview and jot a bunch of notes down regarding all this. So, to start off with the identity that he wants with his offense, Shane Beamer made sure to emphasize that he doesn't want to deviate and completely reinvent the wheel with what the team has done so far. Basically saying nowadays in college football, everyone is doing the same thing in terms of mixing in some college concepts while also combining a couple of components for maybe some NFL offenses. He still believes that it all starts with being a balanced offense in the sense of being able to both run and throw the football, not necessarily split up running and passing plays in a 50-50 ratio. He also wants to be able to get the ball to South Carolina's playmakers consistently, and he wants the offense to possess the ability to push the ball down the field. In terms of a potential timeline for when this hire could be made, Shane Weber said that his phone has been blowing up with people who want to come to South Carolina since the position was open. And In terms of when the hire could be made, he did pretty much say that he's going to make the hire in due time, but believes that they've got plenty of time before the bowl game practice slate starts later in December. Obviously, that will probably vary a little bit depending on which bowl game the Gamecocks go to. I think if they go to the Gator Bowl, that bowl game is on December 28th or 29th, which would mean obviously an earlier start date in terms of the bowl Practice slate. But if the Gamecocks go to, say, the Reliquest Bowl or maybe even the Citrus Bowl, which I've heard has a lot of interest in South Carolina, then they might end up having a couple extra days. But you also got to take into account the players having finals going on, all the recruiting that's taking place. The transfer portal is about to open up this next Monday. There could be some Gamecocks that potentially enter it. Again, don't have any solid info on that, just a complete guess. So there's going to be a lot going on throughout this time period. So I think that's part of the reason why. Shane Beamer is not going to be in a complete and total rush regarding this. Now, when he was asked if previous play calling experience matters, he said he's not sure if it matters, but what he cares about the most is fit. Whoever he ends up hiring, Shane Beamer said he wants this hire to fit the program's culture. He also went on to say whether they come from the NFL ranks, maybe the Power Five level, or even Group of Five, Coaching is coaching, and that there's a lot of great coaches out there at every single level. Basically, the level that you're coaching at does not dictate how good of a coach you are, was his point he was trying to make. And so essentially, Xavier said that he is not going to limit the pool of candidates because of where their experience lies. Now, on the importance of in-game management and play-calling skills, admittedly, he seemed to contradict his answer regarding experience with his answer he gave to this question, because Shane Beamer said, I think that it's critical in terms of in-game management and the play-calling skills. Ideally, we hire someone who has called plays before, but everyone has to get their start somewhere before they begin calling plays on their own. However, there was one part of his answer that really stuck out in terms of this exchange, saying there's no substitute for experience, which I think is pretty telling as to where his thought process lies overall, despite the answer he gave to the previous question. Now, the final question that Shane Beamer was asked regarding the offensive coordinator coaching search was related to Spencer Rattler and his potential decision that he has to make fairly soon As to whether or not he's going to come back to South Carolina or take his shot at the NFL. And Shane Beamer responded to this question saying that at the end of the day, he's going to do what's best for the program first. While the coordinator's potential relationship with Rattler would be important, it is not going to be a deal breaker. So... Obviously, you know, probably the kind of answer that you want to hear if you're a Gamecock fan, as it sounds like, again, Shane Beamer is concerned about the process of trying to help this program take the next step. He's not maybe going to be looking for a guy that's just going to be here one year, or maybe it's just going to be really good in terms of carrying to Spencer Rattler's skill set but none of the other quarterbacks' skill sets. So when reading between the lines regarding all of Shane Beamer's answers in this interview, this is sort of what I took away from everything. Shane Beamer wants an offense that is similar to what the team is running right now. Again, combining some college concepts with some pro concepts at the same time. He wants a guy that has proven to have that feel in terms of in-game management and play calling. Thus, basically, he wants someone that has experience based on what he said in this interview. And he also wants someone who is going to fit the culture in the building. And the hire, again, do not expect it to be a quick one. This is one that could take multiple weeks. And the thing is, I think that Shane Bremer has good reason to take his time with this coaching search. Because the thing is, Shane Beamer truly has options this time around, which is probably the reason why he is willing to wait. And I'm going to dive into just how attractive this offensive coordinator opening is in just a little bit right here on Locked On Gamecocks. But before I touch on that, I do want to let y'all know that today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Bet Bet BetOnline is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis, You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer, the World Cup going on right now. How about the United States making it on to the round of 16? You've also got eSports as well. BetOnline has got it all. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your betting needs and get your betting fix. Head over to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Because bet online is where the game starts. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Want to thank y'all once again for making Locked On Gamecocks your first listen. Now for your next listen. I would like for you to go check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, where the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day all take place. The Locked On Sports Today podcast is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. All right. So, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of South Carolina's offensive coordinator opening, compare the opening now To when this slot was open just two years ago. When Shane Boomer was originally hired by South Carolina in December of 2020. Now, if you forget what all transpired that offseason, I'll quickly give y'all a recap of what all happened. Basically, if you recall... Mike Bobo, who was the offensive coordinator and the interim head coach for the 2020 season, was going to be retained by Shane Beamer and be his offensive coordinator, which was going to provide a boost in terms of SEC experience. And it was thought to be a good hire when the news sort of started to trickle out that that move was going to happen. Now, obviously, we all know how it ended. Mike Bobo wound up taking the offensive coordinator job at Auburn and wound up getting, I think, a $1.5 million contract for three years, which is something that... You know, if you had to read the tea leaves when looking back on this whole sequence of events, Shane Beamer and South Carolina were not willing to go to that length to keep Mike Bobo. But at the time that move eventually happened, the pull had sort of narrowed down a little bit, at least to a certain degree. And of course, South Carolina ended up with Marcus Satterfield. And the thing is, while I'm not going to say that Marcus Satterfield got this job because no one else wanted it, it's probably pretty clear and evident that when this job was opened up, at the beginning of Shane Beamer's entire tenure here, there probably wasn't as many coaches that were clamoring about coming here. You know, probably not as many coaches wanted to come here because, first of all, South Carolina was coming off of two wins from the 2020 season, so most people could probably guess that there wasn't a lot of talent on the roster to work with, that it was going to be a rebuilding job, that you were going to be under a guy who had never been a coordinator in terms of the offensive or defensive side of the ball in his entire college football coaching career. Fast forward now to 2022. We're about to get into December, get near the two-year anniversary of when Shane was hired at South Carolina. And now, South Carolina's offensive coordinator position, this time around, is a really attractive job opening. Think about this. In what situations do head coaches normally need to hire a new offensive coordinator? There's two different scenarios mainly. One is, is after a successful season where there's an exodus of coaches and talent, which normally will tell you that, you know, that program is stable. So someone else could come in there and probably do the exact same thing if they have all the right resources. Or the other scenario where an offensive coordinator might need to be replaced is if there's an unsuccessful season where the head coach has had to let the offensive coordinator and some of the other coaches and or players walk out the door and is now trying to do a quick patch job to potentially try and save his own job. This is not the case for Beamer in either instance. This is a quote-unquote elevate type of hire, not a desperation type of hire in other words coach beamer is going to look at all of these candidates and he's going to deep down ask himself the question can this guy take us to the next level again obviously fitting his offense to the personnel that he has on this roster right now is going to be imperative is this guy going to be a fit for the culture It's going to be imperative but all in all What Shane has to ask himself, and what he's probably going to ask himself, is can this guy help us elevate this program to even bigger heights? He is not sitting there right now and saying, you know, oh my gosh, i got to get this hire right. If I don't get this hire right, I could end up being out of here myself within a year or two. He's not in that position. He's nowhere near in that position right now. And the thing is, when you combine all the following factors with South Carolina's offensive coordinator position, you're going to be in the SEC. You're going to have national exposure because the media loves Shane Beamer, and the social media team here is one of the best in all of college football in terms of showcasing the program, the players, and the coaches. Every aspect of the program. The momentum that's been built up from the obvious progression that's been shown in both of Shane Beamer's first two seasons here. And you throw in the talent that could return next year. Guys like Spencer Rattler, Marshawn Lloyd, Jaheem Bell, some of the wide receivers for South Carolina as well. Plus, South Carolina right now, if you look at all the recruiting service websites, looks to be in shape to have a top 20 recruiting class when all is said and done that is coming in, including potentially one of the best offensive line classes in school history. This is not a hire. Where Coach Beamer is going to be getting on his knees and begging for a coach to come here. Multiple coaches are going to want to be here. There's going to be a lot of interest from the opposite side of the table. That's the kind of position that you want to see your program's head coach be in more often than not. That's exactly the position that Shane Beamer is going to have this offseason with this position. Now, that's not to say he can kick his feet up onto his desk and pretty much be like, you know, are you really good enough for South Carolina? That, that's not to say he can, you know, degrade all of the candidates and talk down to them or, you know, think down about them in terms of maybe any potential negatives. Because, look... There's no perfect coaching candidate out there. That's the way that all these coaching searches go. If you dig deep enough, whether it's on the field, you know, maybe it is how they act in the building, you're probably going to be able to dig up some sort of negative or red flag on every single candidate, okay? But Shane Beamer does possess the ability this time around to be a little bit more selective from a much bigger pool of candidates. And to really hammer home This point that I just made. I'm going to name off some other notable offensive coordinator openings that have taken place in just the last week or so. Again, as of this current moment, there could be more as this show comes out and you know as time passes, but this is the current market in terms of the notable jobs. Auburn's offensive coordinator position. They, of course, just hired Hugh Freeze to be their head coach. And he's probably going to be their play caller. And the other thing is, they would be devoid of talent at multiple spots on that side of the ball. So, maybe not a terrible job, because it is an SEC offensive coordinator job. And you could learn some things under Hugh Freeze, who's a really, really good offensive mind. But, maybe not the greatest opening out there right now. Oregon might be a decent job. Kenny Dillingham has just left to become the head coach at Arizona State. Oregon, I believe, went 9-3 and or 10-2 and this year. Had a really good year under first-year head coach Dan Lanning. And there's always, at least as of the last 10-15 years, there's always some good talent at Oregon to utilize. Texas A&M, Jimbo basically made their offensive coordinator in title in Daryl Dickey, the sacrificial lamb. And um, yeah, he might relinquish all the play-calling duties, but who knows if he's going to do that? And who knows if... They're going to be able to keep all the talent there at Texas A&M. That's not exactly a grade-A job opening right now in terms of offensive coordinator positions. Kentucky just fired their offensive coordinator, Rich Scangarello, after one season. They're about to lose arguably their top two players in Will Levis and Chris Rodriguez Jr., and their offensive line was gosh-awful this past season. Is Kentucky's offensive coordinator position really going to garner all the big names that South Carolina could? Are any of these situations at all better than what South Carolina has to offer? Besides maybe Oregon, absolutely not. So South Carolina, to bottom line this whole portion of the show, is in a really good position right now in terms of their offensive coordinator spot. And I get it; fans are going to get antsy. Fans are going to be going to social media and the you know and the internet, and they're going to be hitting that refresh button all day long because they're going to be waiting for some kind of news to trickle out about who South Carolina could be targeting. They're going to want a grand slam higher in their eyes, all that good stuff. I'm going to tell you, you might want to have some patience here. And look, you should take that as a good thing that South Carolina is probably going to be patient with this entire process because... That means that, again, there is a lot of interest in this job, and Shane Beamer has a lot of options to sort through in terms of who will call plays for the Gamecocks in 2023. Now, we've talked a lot about the offensive coordinator opening on today's show. It's time to discuss some highway robbery that took place on Tuesday regarding Kai Kroger and him being dropped from contention for the Ray Guy Award. We're going to dive into this entire conversation in just a few moments right here on Locked On Gamecocks. But first, a word from a couple of sponsors. Welcome back to today's edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. Okay, so obviously... If you are part of game cognition, if you are a avid tweeter on social media, then you probably saw the absolute firestorm that took place within the fan base on Tuesday afternoon. As Kai Kroger, South Carolina's superstar punter at this point, I mean you just you had to call him that. Superstar punter Kai Kroger for South Carolina. He has been in contention for the Ray Guy Award for the last several weeks. He was originally named a nominee for the award. Then he made it all the way to the semifinalist portion of this entire process. Well, the Augusta Sports Council, the council that basically, I guess, determines who all moves on throughout the entire process for the Ray Guy Award during the end of the regular season, announced their finalists on Tuesday. And the three punters who were named finalists were Adam Corsak of Rutgers, Bryce Beringer of Michigan State, and Mason Fletcher of Cincinnati. In other words, Kai Kroger did not make the final cut. And obviously Gamecock fans were very upset about this. There was a lot of media members who immediately threw criticism towards the Ray Guy Award and more specifically the Augusta Sports Council saying that this was an absolute snub against Kai Kroger, considering everything he has done this season. So I was very curious as to know, why was it that these guys got put in over Kai Kroger? I want to make something clear. I'm not taking anything away from the guys who were named finalists for the Ray Guy Award. And I am going to nitpick a little bit at certain statistics and the way they punt in a little bit. So quick disclaimer, I'm not trying to take anything away from those guys. I'm just building up the case for why maybe Kai Kroger should have gotten more consideration and why he might have been behind the eight ball inherently in this entire process. So, first of all, let's throw out the stats for Kai Kroger. Kai Kroger averaged 46.8 yards on 52 punts this season, downing 27 punts inside the opponent's 20-yard line, over half of his punts. Now in terms of the other people who were final now in terms of the other punters who were named finalists i'm not going to mention bryce beringer in this entire conversation because quite frankly he deserves to be a finalist he's probably one of the best punters in all of college football statistically speaking bar none so he's not going to be involved in this mason fletcher and adam corsack however will be involved in this in terms of mason fletcher At Cincinnati, he averaged 46.6 yards on 56 punts, pretty close to what Kai Kroger had, and down 28 punts, half of his punts exactly, inside the opponent's 20-yard line the regular season. So again, really close to what Kai Kroger had. I'll get into why I brought him up in just a little bit. Now for Adam Korsak at Rutgers, he averaged 44 yards on 75 punts, downing 32 punts inside the opponent's 20-yard line, which accounted for 42.6% of his punts overall. Now, I've got two main issues, two gripes here, with Kai Kroger being left out in terms of the finalists for the Ray Guy Award. The first issue, the percentages regarding Adam Corsack's stats, not matching up with Kai Kroger's, did not seem to matter in the grand scheme of things to the Augusta Sports Council. Because... Again, as I mentioned, Adam Korsak had 75 punts. He only downed 32 punts inside the opponent's 20-yard line. Kai Kroger had 23 less punts than Adam Korsak. And he downed 27 punts inside the opponent's 20-yard line. So essentially, if Kai Kroger had 75 punts like Adam Korsak did, his stats would have automatically been better, assuming that he keeps the same pace, than Adam Korsak. Both in terms of distance traveled... And how many punts were down inside the 20-yard line. But basically, he seemed to be punished for the fact that he didn't punt the ball that often. Let me make an analogy real quick to explain this a little further. Let's say I'm in a three-point shooting competition against a friend of mine. Because we're both really good three-point shooters when it comes to basketball. In this contest, I take 10 three-point shots. I make five of them. So I made 50% of my shots. Not bad for 10 shots. Now my friend, he shoots 13 shots. He makes six of them. So he only hit 46% of his shots, but yet he did hit one more three-pointer than I did. In this case, the Augusta Sports Council would have basically given the award to my friend. And what's not fair in that analogy would be the fact that, hey... My buddy may have hit more three-point shots than me, but he also had three more attempts that I did in our contest, but yet that doesn't seem to matter. Adam Korsak had 23 more punts than Kai Kroger. He only downed five more punts inside the opponent's 20-yard line. Again, I'm not blaming him for this. This is not at all his fault, and I'm not trying to make it sound like it is. It's the entire thought process that is just mind-boggling to me. Basically, if Kai Kroger was on a football team that had a gosh-awful offense where he had to punt the ball about every other possession in a football game, he probably would have been a finalist. That's what they're saying when they have Korsak in this, but not Kai Kroger. Now, the other gripe I have with this whole thing, and this one is a deeper conversation that I can't completely dive into on this show, admittedly, but... The Australian punters controversy. Now, look, if you are a special team yourself and you have to be watching or listening to today's show, then you know what I'm about to talk about. There is a lot of Australian style punters that have made their way into football, American football. A lot of them now you see at the college ranks. And I want to make something clear. I have nothing against punters who are Australian style punters, obviously Is a style that they can use to kick the football, something that clearly they pick up on the Aussie rules football, I guess, that they play back in Australia or in rugby or whatever. Again, I don't know all the details of all that, so don't poke fun at me if I mess up on any of that. But to explain it in simple terms, when you're doing an Australian-style punt, basically the punter catches the football, just like every other punter does, but... When the Australian-style punter catches the football, they run out to one side of the field. And they run out for about two and a half, three seconds max. At least like one and a half, two seconds. Now what that does is it gives their coverage team more time to get down the field. To get closer to the opponent's returned man. Then, the Australian-style punter will kick it. And while they're not going to kick it completely like off the side of their foot, they will kick it to where... Usually, you'll see the ball take a decent bounce, or it will be basically a line drive type punt going to a certain area of the field, where either way, the punter turner, because of the coverage team being close to them and the way the ball is punted, has basically no way of being able to actually try to attempt a return. So they have to either call fair catch, or they have to let the ball bounce, and the ball ends up getting a ton of yardage off of that bounce. Now what does this do? This inflates the Australian-style punter's stats, okay? So, with Mason Fletcher and Adam Corsack, my point with bringing all that up, I'm not going to say that those guys didn't earn all those punts down inside the 20-yard line. They might have had some really good hang-time punts that it didn't matter you know, how much time the coverage team had to get downfield before the ball was kicked, right? But, inherently because of the way they punted, they're going to have higher numbers in terms of fair catches, meaning less net yards taken away from them on these quote-unquote returns, and they're going to probably have a higher chance of having more punts down inside the 20-yard line. So the fact that Kai Kroger, who does not punt this way, and again, I'm not trying to make it out like the Australian-style way, is easier than the way you see most punters punt in American football. But because Kai Kroger seems to not punt that way, He gets punished for that. He still put up a very similar stat line to what Mason Fletcher of Cincinnati put up, and he is an Australian-style punter. Yet, Kai Kroger was not made a finalist. So, here's what I will admit. I don't have an answer or any sort of solution to this quote-unquote conundrum in terms of punting and trying to figure out who should win the Ray Guy Award and who shouldn't. Okay? And I'm not trying to say that again. Mason Fletcher Adam Korsak are not deserving of getting any sort of recognition. They can get all conference honors and all that good stuff. But what I am saying is this. It seems like it is not completely and totally fair that Kai Kroger, because of the fact that a couple other guys have a chance of having their stats inflated to a certain degree due to the style of which they punt, is seemingly going to be boxed out from the final group of finalists for the Ray Guy Award. That is what I'm saying, again, not trying to take anything away from any of these other guys, but I really feel for Kyle Kroger because he's had such a great year. If you watch the Clemson game alone, in my opinion, he made his case in that game to be a finalist for the Ray Guy Award. I think even Clemson Tiger fans would be willing to admit that themselves. So... That is my thoughts on Kai Croker not being a finalist for the Ray Guy Award. What are your thoughts on the entire Ray Guy controversy? with Kai Kroger not being an end of finalist. What are your thoughts on what Shane Boomer said he wants in an offensive coordinator? And what are your thoughts on how attractive South Carolina's offensive coordinator position is inherently? I want to hear all of y'all's thoughts down below in the comments section. If you're watching today's show on YouTube, you can also shoot me a DM on Twitter at a line underscore SC. And I'll respond to you as quickly as I see your message. And once again... Make sure to make Locked On Sports today your second listen after you've listened to the entirety of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But thank you once again for tuning into today's show. Hope that you all have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll catch you all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.